Or are you in Revelation chapter 2 and verse 2? Revelation chapter 2, verse 2. We're going to go ahead and dive into the Word, and then we're going to pray and get started. How many of you love God's Word? I love God's Word. It's, the Bible describes itself as being alive and active and powerful uh, in our lives, and uh, that it's inspired by the Holy Spirit. And uh, it's not an irrelevant book that was written a long time ago, but it is a live book that is powerful and is still speaking to us to this day. In Revelation chapter 2, verse 2, it says, I know all the things you do. I have seen your hard work and your patient endurance. I know you don't tolerate evil people. You have examined the claims of those who say they're apostles, but are not. You have discovered they are liars, and you have patiently suffered for me without quitting. But I have this complaint against you. You do not love me or each other as you first did. Tonight I'm going to be talking about the dangers of growing up in church. Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you, God, that you're speaking to us tonight. I thank you, Father, that you're going to just uh, custom make, tailor make a message for every single one of us, myself included. Lord, I desire to grow closer to you than I've ever been before. And Lord, I just pray right now that you would remove me and that I would not be seen, but that you would be seen and that you would be lifted up and glorified tonight. In Jesus' name, we thank you, Father, for just touching our lives, for moving in us and through us. In Jesus' name, and we thank you, God, for just a supernatural turnaround for the New Orleans Saints. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hey, it's important to me. You know, uh, I went went through an internship program here at Family Life, and uh, Pastor Nick uh, was my, my pastor, and he helped train me in, um, in how to minister and, and just kind of discipled me in that. And so he kind of helped teach me um, how to preach and how to put a sermon together. So uh, if I don't preach well tonight, you can email him and, and blame him for that. But um, so anyway, he, he kind of showed me and, and it's been so helpful. One of, he said, you know, you always ask yourself two questions whenever you're preparing a message. One, what, do you, what does God want to say to the people that he loves so very much? Because it's really not about what I want to say or what anyone else wants to says, say. It's what's important is what God wants to say. So ask yourself, what does God want to say to his people that he loves so very much? And the second question that you ask is, is God, what is your goal or your agenda for the service? Because it's not, again, it's not about what we want to do. It's, it's about what he wants to do. So in the process of asking those questions, God, what do you want to say to your people tonight? And God, what is your agenda for tonight? And what is your, your goal that, that you have? Um, God just be, began to lay on my heart of, of, to talk about the dangers of being in church for a long time and allowing church to become religion and the dangers of religion. And the, and the goal or the agenda tonight is not to downplay church at all. In fact, I love church so much, I, I do it full time. So it's not, it's not to downplay. In fact, in fact, the Bible says, don't forsake the gathering of the saints. Church is incredibly important. But it's not the building itself that saves you. You know, uh, but rather, uh, those that have been in church tonight, I, I feel like for those of you that have been in church for a long time, you've been in service after service, tonight, and maybe going through the motions, tonight my prayer for you is that you don't just have another message, but that you have a fresh encounter with the King of the universe, and His name uh, is Jesus. And so, in essence, um, every single one of us can get ministered to tonight, and I want you to view this rest of the time that we have together, in essence, as as a, a wedding ceremony. A wedding ceremony, and what I mean by that is, is some of you may enter into covenant with God for the very first time today. You may enter into covenant with, in relationship with Jesus for the very first time. For those of you that have been serving Him for a while, this may be more like a vow renewal. And so I encourage you to break away from just church's norm and allow the Holy Spirit to minister to us. And you know, the Lord gave me some insights on kind of the dangers of growing up in church and some of it through preparing and a lot of it 
um, through life experience as well. For, for those of you that may or may not know my story, um, I grew up in church. And in fact, I, I grew up uh, in, in this church. And uh, I got radically saved at six years old. And, and uh, growing up, uh, Brother Francis Martin w- was and still is my hero. Um, just, I just admired everything that he did. And I, I actually felt a call uh, to the ministry at six years old and really didn't understand the depth of that, but I just felt like that's what God um, had, would told me and I would actually meet with him and discuss it, which is pretty awesome. You know, not very many senior pastors would take time aside and meet with a six-year-old and discuss, you know, ministry with them, but that's just kind of the kind of guy Brother Francis is. And, you know, so I, I grew up feeling that call and, you know, came to school here and, and, and all that, but... Um, Serve God for, for, you know, my childhood. And around 13 years old, um, I developed just kind of, a, I felt like, you know, what does really the world have to offer? You know, begin to get a little bit curious about that. And, you know, what, what is, what, what is this all about? And so I began to kind of dabble a little bit and experiment just drugs and, and alcohol. And around that same time period, uh, my parents divorced, which was a, which was a big thing in my life. And that kind of pushed me to get a little bit, further uh, into drugs and into alcohol. And uh, by the time I was 16 years old, uh, I was completely addicted to drugs. I was completely addicted to alcohol. And uh, my life was just really spiraling out of control. And I had a, a childhood friend that I grew up with all my life um, that would try, kept trying to minister to me, reach out to me. And, um, you know, he would invite me uh, to this this place that called Fusion Student Ministries, they had a new youth pastor named uh, Brandon Miller, and he tried selling all the different things. You know, like man, come. Uh, he, he look, he's got really cool hair. Uh, you know, he he dresses cool. He's not like he's not like the pastors, you know, other pastors. You know, he doesn't wear a suit and stuff. He's cool. Like he 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 doesn't. He speaks more like like us. You know, I'm like yeah, all right, that, that's that's not bad. And he slipped in like he actually he's a big football fan. He loves football. I'm like, well, all right, well I might I might check this place out if he if he likes football. And, and so I went and started going for a little while. And uh, and this guy named Brandon Miller began to minister to me and uh, pour into my life. And uh, we began meeting. I really I wasn't saved at the time. And he but he never gave up on me. He he continued to meet with me, uh, continued to minister to me. And pour into my life. And um, at 17 years old, I, I rededicated my life to, to Christ and have not looked back. And uh, I'm so thankful for a guy named Brandon Miller for pouring into my life. And I would not be up on this stage today without him. And so today, he originally, he poured into my life to try to get me to be saved. Today, he helps pour into my life to minister to young people and how to become a better youth pastor. And and so he has a very special place in my heart. I just want to honor him uh, tonight. I wouldn't be here without you. I love you. And um, it shaped my life. It shaped my ministry. shaped everything that I do. Because I'm looking around for who's in the next Elijah. Who's the one that I can pour my life into just as he poured his life into me and not looking at what that person, you know, where that person's at, but what that, what God wants to do within that person. And that's important because, um, you know, all of us, you know, have come from somewhere and, uh, and we need to continue to pour into other people. So, and all that said, you know, I've grown up in church. I've, I've been here, uh, I've been around a, a little bit and no church and, experience some of the dangers that can be caused, you know, just in getting numb to going through the motions. And tonight, the rest of the time that we have is I want to share with you uh, four dangers that we face in growing up in church. And I don't want you to just focus on, oh, well, I didn't grow up in church, so this message doesn't apply to me. You may have been, maybe not have grown up in church, but maybe you've been around here for a little while or around church for a little while. And I want to encourage you that not to fall into the temptations that can so easily beset us as we just kind of can go through the motions, understand what's going on. So we're going to go through a few different dangers that we, we face. And so four different dangers that we face 
uh, if you've been in church for, for a while. Danger number one is we can forget our need for a Savior. We can forget our need for a Savior. How many of you in here are born-again Christians? Let me, let me see your hand. You had a salvation experience. How many of you remember the first time, that whenever that, that first happened? You know, you were, you were so excited. Um, you know, I remember whenever, whenever I first got saved, I, I was just happy to be alive, you know? Uh, I was just happy that, like, man, okay, you know, I'm going to get to spend eternity with Jesus. And uh, I never really, I didn't consider ministry that much. That really wasn't my goal. I just, I just loved Jesus. And out of that, it just, that's kind of how it, how it happened. And you remember those moments, you remember those feelings that you had towards God of, you know, just you and Him, the first time He began to speak to you, or, you know, the first time you got a word, the first time you opened your Bible and, and God began to give you revelation. Those are special moments. You know, I can even remember the, if I hear a song, you know, of, of worship music that I first started listening to, and it brings me back to that place of, oh man, that's whenever I, I first begin to feel the presence of God. And those are special times, but along the years, it can get easy to forget about those times and we can get busy and, and just kind of, you know, kind of really forget about really our first love and who church is all about. And it's important until you understand who church is all about, you will never understand what church is all about. Until you understand who church is all about, you will never understand what church is all about. The who of church is Jesus. The what of church is going out and introducing people to that Jesus that you have met and to help them to continue to get to know him better. That's the who and the what of Jesus, but if, of church. But if you don't know, if you don't start at the place of who, you'll never move on to the what. You'll never know, why am I really here? Why am I really in this place? Why did I really come on a Wednesday night at 6.30 in the Christmas season whenever I could be shopping and could be doing all kinds of different things? Why am I in this place right now? It's because of the who. It's Jesus. What He did for us, that He saved us, He healed us, He redeemed us. And so sometimes we can forget about that. You know, sometimes I have to do this myself. Some, you know, if I'm going through different things, it helps me to just pull back for a second and think, just thank God for just being saved. The simplicity of salvation. You, we really can't appreciate salvation until we enter into eternity and realize, man, this is the greatest decision I ever met. But what happens is sometimes the longer that we go, we forget about who it's all about. And we f- sadly can forget about the fact that my neighbor doesn't just need a savior I need a savior as well. And so why is, why is forgetting that we need a savior such a danger? Why is that one of the dangers that we can face if we grew up in church or have been in church for a little while? Well, the biggest danger is if we forget that we need a, a savior, we begin to get critical, cynical, and judgmental of other people thinking that we're better than them. Thinking that somehow we don't need a savior, but they do. And Jesus actually gave us a parable to illustrate that. It's found in Luke chapter 18 and verse 9. It says, Then Jesus told this story and some who, uh, uh, to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. Two men went outside the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, the other was a despised tax collector. Does it help you to know that tax collectors were despised even back then? The Pharisee stood by himself. If you are work for the IRS, I apologize for that. The, the Pharisee stood by himself and, and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I am not a sinner like everyone else. For I do not cheat. I do not sin. I do not commit adultery. And I'm certainly not like this task, tax collector here. I'm awesome. And the first and the twi- and twice a week I fast and I give a tenth of my income I tithe but the tax tax collector on the other hand he stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed instead he beat his chest in sorrow saying oh god be merciful to me for i am a sinner i tell you this 
I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, but those who humble themselves will be exalted. Now, what Jesus is saying in this parable to us here is not that what the Pharisee was doing is wrong. You would agree, man, this is, I mean, that, that's good. He, you know, he tithes, he, he, he's not in adultery, you know, he, he's, he, he doesn't cheat, he doesn't, he's not, you know, in any type of major sin, you know, he's, he's really, he's a great churchgoer, so to speak. But in reality, his heart was very far away from God. What happened was the Pharisee began to put his own trust in his own righteousness, in his own works. And when that happens, we begin to develop a a posture of pride. And the one thing that God cannot associate with is pride. He He cannot allow himself to be in pride because that is totally against his nature. But the good news is, is that whenever we humble ourselves before God, and acknowledge and continue to acknowledge our need for a Savior, then God can continue to minister to us. He continue to refresh us. He continue, can continue to speak to us. But if we take the, if we take the, uh, the posture of humility only, we can forget our need for a Savior. In another parable that Jesus gave in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 1, it says, Do not judge others, or, uh, and you will not be judged. For you will be treated as you treat others. For the standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. And why worry about the speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me get rid of the speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite, first get rid of the log in your own eye, then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. In essence, this scripture can be summed up that what frustrates us the most about someone else, typically we have a whole lot in ourselves. Normally the thing that that really just drives you nuts about someone else is normally what you have a whole lot of in yourself. Why? Because we're talking about you're forgetting your need for a Savior. What happens whenever you forget your need for a Savior, then you begin to go into a realm of pride where you begin to get critical of other people, you begin to get cynical of other people, and you begin to judge other people. And what happens is whenever I judge someone else, I am ultimately saying that I'm good. I don't need, I don't need the forgiveness of God because, because I'm good. I've been in church for a while. I've been saved for a while. I'm good. I'm not like I used to be. I'm not like this person here. We got to continue to examine ourselves and realize that you need a savior just as much as whenever you got saved. You need a savior. You still today need a savior. Just like everyone else needs a savior. And whenever we begin to get critical and judgmental of other people, it's because ultimately we've forgotten where we came from. So many people criticize the things and other people that they came out of. You know, it's like me saying, man, how in the world could this teenager struggle with drugs and alcohol? That's just ridiculous. I don't understand. I just don't get like, hey, didn't you struggle with drugs? Just a thought. Most, most of the time, that's what happens. But if we get back into the posture of humility saying, God, I need a Savior. I need you just as much as I needed you from day one. God can respond to that and heal us. And so let's avoid the danger of forgetting our need of Savior. This is what it's all about. His name is Jesus Christ. The second danger that we face in growing up in church or being in church for a while is we can transition God from holy to common in our lives. We can transition God. It's not saying that God becomes common. God is holy. He will always be holy. But in our lives, we transition Him out of the place in our heart of God, you are holy, you are first, you are in my life, you sit upon the throne of my heart to, well, yeah, God, God's good. He's, he's, you know, you know, he's all right. He's just common. Why is this so dangerous to transition God from holy to common in our lives? 
is number one, it causes me to think of God as ordinary, just like any other person. And uh, I won't read this scripture for, for time, but you can go back in Second Samuel chapter 6, verse 1. It's a story about David was taking the Ark of the Covenant back, and, and in the process of taking the Ark back, um, Uzziah was walking along with it. And uh, as he did, uh, one of the ox began to kind of falter a little bit, and the Ark got a little bit off balance, kind of looked like it was about to fall, and Uzziah stuck his hand out and tried to, to keep the Ark up. And, uh, and the Bible says that that angered the Lord, and in fact, uh, he actually striked Uzziah dead right there in that moment. I've read that scripture for a long time, and I was like, man, God, that, that seems a little bit a little bit harsh. You know, I mean, he was just trying to keep the ark up. You know, I mean, why? why in fact, even if you read a little bit further, uh, the Bible says that David was a little bit discouraged with God. God why, why did you allow that to happen? And for the first time, actually, today, God began to give me some revelation on that. What he was doing is he was treating God as ordinary, just like another person. If he was walking beside another person and that person began to trip, you would hold that person up to help them because that person needed help not to fall. This is God. He didn't need help not to fall. He had lost a reverence in his heart and God had transitioned out of being holy to just being common. See, he had been around the ark for quite some time and so it really wasn't a big deal anymore. Yeah, the ark, the presence of God. God was no longer holy in his life. God was just ordinary like anyone else. And there's great danger in allowing God to trans, uh, to begin to transition out of holy in our lives to being just common, ordinary. You know, you, you hear people sometimes talk about God and it's like, man, do you not have fear of God? Do you, do you not realize who you realize like who God is. He's the creator of the universe. Like he could probably still go ahead and strike you dead if he wanted to, but he's, he may not, hopefully not. He's also gracious. But whenever we, there's great danger in allowing God to transition in our lives from, he, he's no longer holy. He's just common. He's just like, like everyone else. And that can happen with over familiarity with God. God actually one time spoke that to me in prayer. I was praying and just crying out for God and just had my prayer list and was just kind of going down the prayer list. And God was like, hey, let's, let's not worry about the prayer list right now. I kind of have something to say to you. And he spoke, he spoke to me. He said, I've become, you've become over familiar with me. That, that you're just, I'm just ordinary to you. You've just, you've just grown accustomed to me. And I begin to repent and ask God, Lord, help me to, to treat you as holy again. Help me to have more fear of the Lord in my life. Help me to realize, to put you back on that seat of, yes, you are a friend. Yeah, yes, you, you are a savior, but also you are a king. You are a Lord. And I'm going to place you back at first in, in, in my life. There's great danger in allowing God to transition from just being ordinary, from going to being holy to just ordinary. The second danger uh, the, the second danger that uh, whenever we transition God from being holy to common in our life, um, we, we allow, we buy into the lie that says, I can do whatever I want and I will not have any consequences. I can do whatever I want, but there won't be any consequences for what I do. I can just live my life. And, you know, how many of you heard that have heard little sayings like I deserve to be happy or you know, just allow me to just, I can, you know, do what I want to do. And what they're saying is, I can do whatever I want and I'm not going to have any consequences. Well, that's just not true. The Bible says in Galatians chapter 6, verse 7, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. Whenever I allow, get an attitude and buy into the lie of, Man, I can just, I could really just do whatever I want. God's okay with it. He's a loving God. He's a merciful God. God knows my heart. You know, how many of you heard that a million times? God knows my heart. He's a merciful God. And yes, He is. But have you ever seen a painting where you cannot uh, recognize it as a person because one portion of their face is just blown up? 
what happened was is they focused in on one aspect of that person and blew that person that portion of the person up and you really can't get a picture of who that was. Well, it's the same thing with yes God is loving, yes God is merciful, but whenever you blow that up as the only aspect of God, you're missing the whole of God. He also is a judge. He also is uh, can have wrath. He also uh, will not allow sin to go unpunished. And, and it's better for it to go punished in this life than to be punished for it in the next. So there's great danger in buying in to that lie of I can do whatever I want. There's great danger in allowing God to be common in our lives just like anyone else. The third danger that we can face in being familiar with God and being familiar with church is we can develop a hard heart. And the third danger that we face and can face in growing up in church or being around the church for a while is you can develop a hard heart. You can have your senses dulled um, to the things of God. You know, growing up, I always thought of, you know, a hard heart. I always kind of had a heart, you know, pictured in my mind and kind of thought of, you know, it being dunked in like semen or something like that. And it's just a, a hard heart. That's kind of just the visual that I, that I always had. But in reality, that's not how it happens at all. It's not just a one-time process. Really, more accurately, it's like that same bucket that would have your heart dipped in it. Take that bucket and it has a small leak underneath it and the heart's underneath it. And slowly, it begins to drip on the heart. And it doesn't heart, it really doesn't affect it that much at, at first. In fact, um, you know, if it doesn't get too bad, you can just wipe it off. But if you allow it to sit under that slow leak of cement, eventually it's going to continue to get a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more, until eventually the, the whole heart is hardened. The whole heart is hard. And that's what happens if we, if we go into service time and time again and really don't allow God to speak to us, kind of stiff arm. What God's saying to us is slowly our heart gets hard. Slowly, our heart gets hard. And this can happen whenever you just become, you're just around, you learn the motions and just kind of go through it. Your heart can get hard towards the things of God. And so how do you develop a hard heart? How do you develop a hard heart? One of the first ways that you develop a hard heart is by having an abundance of unpracticed sermons and Scripture verses. It's having an abundance of unpracticed sermons and scripture verses. I know that sounds kind of hard, but that's just kind of the reality of it. In fact, you know, I find I I love, absolutely love teenagers. In fact, I was with Pastor Nick one time at LPCC and and, uh, I was just kind of observing. He was ministering and I was just looking at all these guys. I was like, man, they didn't look like guys that would be in jail. You know, just looked like a normal church service. And I was like, man, these guys are saved. They love God. And, you know, their eternities are changed. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me. He said, you know, their eternities are are changed. They're going to go to heaven, but they still have to deal with the consequences of of what they've done. He said, if you reach teenagers, not only will they have a a heavenly home, not only will their eternity change, but their whole lives will change. And so I love, I love reaching out to teenagers because it affects not only their eternity, but it can affect their, their future families. It can affect the future decisions that they make. And I really have a heart for church kids because I grew up as one and I know kind of what they have gone through or, or where they're at. And that's really where my heart is. But sometimes people that have grown up in church are some of the hardest people to reach in the world. Because a lot of times I've tried to minister and counseling with different people that have grown up in church and I'll begin to share the word with them and say, I know. Well, this is what the Bible says about that. Yeah, I know. Well, yeah, but you, you're doing this and the Bible says not. Yeah, I know. Well, yeah, yeah, but you, that you're, this is and this and this. Yeah, I know. I, I know. I know that. In fact, and they can quote scripture faster than I can. Yeah, I know. Well, then my, okay, I've gone through all the scripture. I mean, we started in Genesis. We went through Revelation. I even added in a couple of books just to kind of fit with what, well, I'm just kidding. Some of you are like, I'm not going to counseling with him. And then finally, I think uh, like, okay, okay, I know the scripture verse for you. James chapter one, verse 22 says, but do not, don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise you're fooling yourself. 
For if you listen to the word and do not obey it, it's like glancing into the mirror, looking at your face. You you see yourself, you walk away and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law, that sets you free. And if you do what it says and don't forget what you have heard, then God will bless you for doing it. You know, demons have pretty good scripture memory. In fact, you know, you remember whenever Satan and Jesus were, you know, he was going through the time of temptation. Satan was able to quote word back to him, but it was twisted. And But Jesus, what is the word and was the word and was able to clarify it and quote it back to him in its context. And, you know, we can have an abundance of knowledge You know, so many of us have had so many incredible sermons, so many incredible Bible studies. And the truth is that the process of our heart hardening is through not applying that. Through not allowing that to sink in to our lives where we can say, yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. But you can know. But unless you apply it to your life, it's really not worth anything to you. There are going to be many people that are going to face judgment before Jesus and have tons of knowledge of the Scripture, yet they will not enter into heaven. Knowing is not enough. Applying is where it counts. And so our hearts can begin to harden as we have an abundance of unpracticed sermons and Scripture. The Bible says to be doers of the Word. So why... Is developing a heart so uh, so difficult, so terrible, and and how does it happen? The second way that it happens is, I buy into a lie, saying I'm missing out on what the world has to offer. I buy into a lie. My heart begins to harden whenever I buy into a lie that says somehow I'm missing out. I'm missing out. I, I'm really, you know, I'm I'm not having fun. And some a lot of times this can be the hardest thing for teenagers, because it appears that all their friends are having so much fun. Media does such a great job of, of hyping all this so-called fun up and you know, showing, man, this is a great time. You, know, you never see any depressing beer commercials. You know, it's always like, man, we're just having the greatest time ever. Like, man, well, uh, that sounds good. You know? but, it, but they never, you, you'll never flip on the channel and be like, hey, you know, by Bud Light, this is a family that lost a loved one in a drunk driving accident. That, that really wouldn't be good marketing. The enemy is very good at, at marketing and to make people feel like they're somehow missing out. And in truth, there is a season that, uh, that it, it's fun. There's a season when sin is fun. And the Bible even says that in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he grew up, refused to call to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasure of sin. So Moses could have easily, whenever he began to go through all the things that he went through, be like, man, it looks a whole lot better there than, than what I'm experiencing right now. And, and Pharaoh and all those people, it really seemed like they were living it up. But I bet Moses was so thankful as he crossed over the river and saw it close up on, the, on Pharaoh and all those people. Like, man, they had fun then, but that's where it led. And so many of us, whenever we allow to th- feel like, man, I'm missing out on what the world's happening, give it time. Give it time. Somebody's going to go through some type of tragedy where it swallows them up and you're going to be able to say, man, I'm so glad that I chose to follow God rather than to give in to that temptation of following and feeling like I'm missing out. The truth is you're not missing out. And I can tell you from experience, uh, I've lived in the world and I've lived for God and God is better. God is better. It's better to live into His promises. It's better to have uh, his blessing on your life. I can tell you, I've had more fun as a Christian than I did in the world. Because, you know why? Because I never regretted a time with God. I never woke up the next morning with a headache after praying or reading my Bible. I've never experienced any of that. God has been better than the world. 
And so, you know, it's wise to learn from mistakes, right? It's wiser to learn from other people's mistakes. So learn, take this from me. I can tell you, I promise you, it's solid as gold. So many people in this auditorium can tell you as well. World, God, I take God every single time. Believe me, you're not missing out on anything. So the third danger that we face is our heart can get hardened. And the fourth danger that we're going to talk about finishing up here, and I really, in my opinion, this is really the most common danger that believers faced. And, and, and actually, I think that it's the most dangerous is we face the danger of falling asleep spiritually. We face the danger, of, the longer that we're just in church and going through the motions, we face a danger of falling asleep spiritually. And why is falling asleep spiritually so dangerous? I want to give you a few reasons as we, as we kind of bring it to a close. Why is falling asleep so dangerous? Number one, I can develop sleepwalking. I can develop sleepwalking spiritually. One of them, that I believe that that's the most dangerous. Is you, you know, whenever someone's, have you ever seen someone sleepwalk? You know, they're physically walking, you know, and, and if you didn't have a conversation with them, they look like they're up and about, but in reality, they're still sleeping. One of the biggest dangers is for somebody to be in church for a long time and learn Christianese, is learn what to say, hallelujah, praise God, God's just bringing me to a new season, just all, you know, all, the, all the right things to say. No one can see it because they have the mask up, they're going through the motions, yet they're empty inside. It's so dangerous. So many people in not I'm not saying this church, but in many churches, many places all across the world are falling asleep spiritually. They're asleep. They're going through the motions. They're sleepwalking. And nobody really knows it because they've learned the language. They've learned when to clap. They've learned when to raise their hands. They've learned all the right things to do on the outside. But on the inside, their heart is incredibly far away from God. Matthew 15 verse 7 says, it's kind of hard saying you hypocrites. I'm not calling you, you hypocrites. This is just what the Bible says. Um, you hypocrites, Isaiah was right when he wrote and prophesied about you. For he wrote, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is farce and they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. Modern translation is they've learned what to say. They've learned how to worship. They've learned what to do, what is proper, what is not proper, what is good church etiquette, what is not. But their heart is far away from God. The Bible says that man looks on the outward, but God looks what? At the heart. Man sees, man, that looks like they're, you know, they're, they're ministering to people. They're really pouring out, but their heart can be really far away from God. In fact, the Bible says, Jesus said, many on the day of judgment will say, Lord, Lord. And, and a lot, whenever the Bible says something twice, what it really means is that's our version of an exclamation point. So it's really more like, Lord, didn't I prophesy in your name? Didn't I cast out demons in your name? Didn't I do all these things in your name? I mean, I had a deliverance ministry. That is like the most spiritual thing that you can possibly do. How am I not going to heaven? Because I never knew you. I don't know who you are. Ministry is a wonderful thing and it's great. It's great to serve God. It's great to be plugged in. It's great to serve. And, and, and God loves that and actually expects that from us. But it must flow from a relationship with Him. It must flow out of a relationship with Him. And it's not. it cannot be, okay, I know all the things to say, but my heart is far away from God. I encourage you, if that's where you're at tonight, allow God to begin to soften that heart. Allow God to begin to chip away of, you know what, I'm just going to be real. I don't really care what people think. I don't really care if it's proper to raise my hands at this point in the song. If I'm feeling the Holy Spirit, I'm just going to go ahead and enter in. Does it really matter? Don't get caught up in just learning, going through the motions. 
but allow God to continue to move in your life. Don't be sleepwalking spiritually. The second thing is, is I buy into the lie of I have plenty of time. I have plenty of time. Whenever I'm asleep, I'm, I just keep hitting the snooze. But how many of you are snoozers in here? My wife just gave me a bad pair of eyes there. You know, whenever you, you have a, a spouse and you snooze, it, it also wakes up your spouse. And normally I wake up a little bit earlier, so we've had a few conversations about that. I'm a snoozer. I really am. I, I, I have great goals of, you know what, I'm going to wake up at 4.30 this morning and I'm going to just pray for like three hours and then my alarm goes off. I'm like, yeah, I can pray for an hour. You know, <laughs> just, I just keep, keep snoozing. And a lot of people spiritually are snoozers. I got plenty of time. I'm not going to be late. Look, I, I mean, I'm only 20 years old. I'm only 16. I got plenty of time. I'm just going to kind of relax a little bit. I'm really not going to participate in prayer and fasting this year. I'm really not looking to, to go deeper. I'm really not looking to dig in. I'm really not looking to, to grow spiritually. I got plenty of time. There's great danger when, when you walk and you feel like you have plenty of time. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 3, it says, Most importantly, I want to remind you that in the last days, scoffers will come, mocking the truth, and will follow their own desires. And they will say, What happened to the promise that Jesus is coming again? From before the times of our ancestors, everything has remained the same since the world was first created. You ever had anybody say something similar to that to you? Like, man, they've been preaching about Jesus coming back since the 70s, man. I, nothing's ever happened with that. I mean, they've been, they've been saying that. Like, yeah, well, you're fulfilling the scripture that talks about you. That says that, man, they, they've, they, what happened to this Jesus coming back? It's hard for me to talk about the rapture with Pastor Kelly in the building. He's like the rapture expert. But in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 2, it says, For you know quite well that the day of the Lord's return will be unexpectedly like a thief in the night when people are saying, everything is peaceful and secure. I'm hitting the snooze button. I have plenty of time. Then disaster will fall on them suddenly like a pregnant woman's labor pains begin and there will be no escape. You know, one of the most common questions that, that people ask is, are we living in the last days? Because if you open your Bible and you open a newspaper or, or your iPad that has the newspaper, that's maybe a little bit more accurate now, and you compare the two, there's a lot of things happening in our world that, that the Bible talks about. So a lot of people want to know, are we living in the last days? And the answer is yes, you are. You're living in the last days. I'm not saying that the rapture is coming maybe necessarily in your lifetime, but you are living in your last days. Because one of two things are going to happen. Either you're going to leave this earth through death or Jesus will come back. But for us, we are living in the last days. You are living in your last days. James chapter 4 verse 13 says, Come now. You who say today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a place and spend a year there and trade and make, pro- make a profit. Yet you do not know what, what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For it is a mist that appears for a little time then vanishes. Our life, the Bible describes it as a mist or a vapor. And you can imagine... Say I had a rope that extended all across this stage, went through the doors, it went around J building, came back and went around the world, just kept going. It was actually an endless rope. And I taped off about this much of that rope. That tape represents your lifespan compared to eternity. You have this much time compared to eternity. Every single one of us, Maybe the rapture might not happen in our lifetime, but we are living in the last days. Your life, you don't know what's going to happen. 
you know, I always, you know, I always thought when I growing up in church, I didn't want to serve God. I wanted to do what I wanted to do, but I mean, I also didn't want to go to hell either. I heard that that was really a terrible place. So I developed a really genius plan that I was going to do whatever I wanted to do, but on my deathbed or whenever I, you know, whenever I, you know, got married and was older and had kids and I couldn't really have fun anymore, then I was going to repent, go to church, get my life back together. And I was like, man, this is like the best plan ever. I can live for myself, do whatever I want to do, and then go to heaven. Yet the only problem with that plan is you don't know when you're going to die. So you're literally taking the biggest gamble any person could ever take. And the lie that so many of us buy when we fall asleep is, I got more time. I got more time. I can keep sleeping because I won't be late because I really don't have to be there early. I mean, in fact, I got years. I mean, I'm good. I really don't have to go to church today. I really don't have to serve God today. I got time. And in reality, you don't know that. You don't know that. So many times we, you know, we see people that are in this building and the next week they're not with us. Because the reality is we don't know when that time will come. So are we living in the last days? Yes, you are. Yes, you are. And, in, and because of that, it's incredibly important that you don't fall asleep spiritually but that you stay attentive, that you know that you continue to serve God, not just to avoid these dangers, but because there is a man named Jesus Christ that died on the cross for you and I that deserves everything that we have. When you gaze upon the person of Jesus Christ, loving Him is not an issue. When you get the revelation of exactly what He did for you, that He died on the cross because of us, and instead of us. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. So there was a price that had to be paid. But Jesus took that price and fulfilled it for you and I. So it's important that, that we realize all these things and avoid these dangers. Would you stand with us? Stand with me as, as we close and wrap up. So we talked about the dangers of falling asleep. How do we avoid these dangers that we talked about? Or if I've fallen into some of these dangers, how do I escape this? How do I get out of Some of you might be in that place where you're sleeping spiritually or your heart is hardened or you don't really realize your need for a Savior or God has just become common or ordinary in your life. He's no longer holy anymore. We're going to end where we started. In Revelation chapter 2, Revelation chapter 2 and verse 2, it says, I know all the things that you've done, that you do. I've seen your hard work and I know your patient endurance. I know you don't tolerate evil people. You've examined the claims of those who say they are apostles but are not and you discover they are liars. You have plenty, have patiently suffered for me without quitting. But I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you first did. What's the solution? He goes on in verse 5 says, look how far you've fallen. Look how far you've fallen. How discouraged would that be if you just stopped right there? Look, look at the mess that you're in. He doesn't stop there. He keeps going. Turn back to me. Do the works you did at first. If you repent, I will come. And, re- and I will come. If you don't repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. Jesus is saying to us is look at where you're at wherever it may be wherever you are look at where you're at maybe you've been in church for a while maybe you grew up in church maybe you've heard message after message after message the solution to avoid these dangers or to get out of them is to repent it's really that simple Another word for repent is to change your mind. Is to is to change the pattern of thinking that you have and to get rid of your thinking and to take God's thinking. 
and to look at sin the way God looks at sin and to look at where the way see us the way God sees us. And so tonight, I, if you would just do me a favor, I'd like everybody to just close their eyes, bow their heads, nobody looking around. We talked about whenever we first started to look at this message as a wedding ceremony. One of two things were going to happen. Either you're going to get married for the very first time. You're going to commit your life to Christ. You don't have a relationship with Him. Or at one time you had a relationship with Him and you're far away from Him. Or you still have a relationship with Him, but yet you've, you've fallen into some of these dangers. I just want to ask right now, with nobody looking around at all but me, if you die tonight and you didn't have all the time in the world, where would you spend eternity? Where would you spend eternity? The good news is that Jesus Christ came, died on the cross, was resurrected. The cross could not hold him. He took upon our sins and all we have to do is confess him and believe him and follow him and you will be saved. I want to ask real quick, does anybody not have a relationship with Jesus? I will not embarrass you. Can you just slip up your hand? Say, if I die tonight, I don't know where I'd spend eternity or I do know where I'd spend eternity and it would not be heaven. I don't want to, I don't want to take for granted anyone in here at all. Still going to give you opportunity. Anyone in here at all doesn't know where they're going they're going to spend eternity. rest of us, I want you to view this time as a rededication, as a vow renewal. The truth is, every single one of us are not where we need to be. We may not be where we used to be, but we're also not where we need to be. And so I just want to pray over every single person in here. Father, I pray for every single person that is hearing my voice right now. Lord, I pray right now that they would just rediscover the first love, even if they're on fire for you, serving you with everything they have. I pray right now that that fire would just increase wherever they're at. Their relationship with you would increase right now in the name of Jesus. Let us be people that are not falling asleep. Let us be people that do not forget our need for a Savior. Let us be people that do not treat you as common or ordinary, but you are holy, God. And let us, Lord, I ask that you would soften hearts tonight. In Jesus' name I pray. I thank you for the power and authority of your word. And I ask right now that as the word has gone forth, God, that it is not going void, but it is accomplishing everything that you have set it to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said, Amen. Amen. Well, it was such a privilege to be with y'all tonight.